Welcome to Be The Light Podcast with C.B. Barthlow, lead pastor of Denver Beacon. I am your host, Pastor Ty Morris. Our desire is to lead the lost, the broken, and the hopelessness of our communities, to be light bearers in our city set on a hill. Now tune in for our sermon series. Do you have your Bible? Say yeah. yeah. You have a paper Bible? Say I'm going to heaven. There it is. All right, I wanna, I wanna just level with you, church, because I love you so much. Last week, who was here last week? Show of hands, you were in the room last week. Yeah. Amen, right? So I don't usually say like that was a good message because <laughs> that seems weird, right? But I was driving home and I was really moved by what the Lord did amongst us in, in, in the word last week. I just, there are some moments, and I don't mind telling you, like sometimes I'm preaching and other times I'm watching as he's preaching. And I, and I just sensed that happen last week. It was, a, it was a joyous occasion. It was an inspiring moment. There was a, a moment there where we talked about what it will look like when you walk into your eternal reward. And the whole room just sort of like came to the moment of realization. It was just breathtaking. Yeah. Today's gonna be a hard one. And I don't mind telling you that. I wanna be totally upfront and honest with you today. What we talked about last week was beautiful and celebratory, and you should be so encouraged at the promises that is to come, that are to come, but I don't want you to be confused that those promises and those rewards and that eternal life that you get to walk into, that they are done willy-nilly or without you actively partaking in the salvation and sanctification process, amen? It's true, salvation is a free gift, but sanctification is where you get some skin in the game. And I don't want to confuse you to be the kind of pastor who just says, don't worry, do whatever you want, heaven's on the way. That's not really the way that it works, amen? I want to encourage you from time to time, but I also want to have a real open and honest family meeting, and today is that day where we talk about what it really looks like to be a believer of Jesus Christ, amen? amen. We're going to pick up today Luke chapter 7, I'm going to read just five verses verses 31 through 35 in your hearing. We're gonna pray, we're gonna trust the Lord. He's gonna do something mighty among us. Luke 7 and 31, you should have it right there. It reads this, this is Jesus talking. He says, to what then shall I compare the people of this generation and what are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you and it didn't dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. The son of man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Verse 35, yet wisdom will be justified by all of her children. <laughs> Title of today's message is It's Time to Grow Up. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. And we know that because you love us, you prune us. You correct your children. You rebuke us. You refine us so that we might be more like you. Jesus, we don't become you without letting go of some old things. So Father, today we come to you with a humble heart and an open mind. Today we recognize that we will feel conviction, but that is not condemnation. Conviction is meant to change us. So God, change us today. Amen. Have I scared you sufficiently before we started this message? 
I have like that kind of deep tone, so somber. Look, here's the deal. Um, A truly mature Christian should see rebuke and correction in exactly the spirit in which it is intended, which is celebratory, right? Look, here's the deal. I have two sons, love them with my whole heart. I also correct them with their wrong. Do you know why? Because I love them with my whole heart. I see your kids in the grocery store and they're acting a while. I'm not going to correct them because I don't love them the same way that I love my own kids. I'm going to love your kids from afar and go, uh, your kids are kind of being wild. But my kids, well, I'm invested in my kids and I don't want to see them go down the wrong path. And so when they do, we quickly course correct. We quickly have serious conversations about what that will bring forth if you continue in that direction. And that is the spirit in which the father corrects his children. Pruning is good for us. No plant bears fruit lest we cut away those things that are dead and dying and serve no purpose. If we don't dig up the weeds in our life, you cannot flourish in the garden of faith. Amen. And so today what we're going to do is really talk about what's growing alongside your faith that is destined to kill you lest we make some plans to kill it. Amen. Now, I want you to understand as we open this text, I've got three main conversations, concepts that we're going to talk about, but I want to set the stage for you because if you haven't been here over the last two or three weeks, this whole little batch of messages around John the Baptist and Jesus' conversation, well, they're tied in. Two weeks ago, uh, or three weeks ago, John the Baptist and his disciples, he had sent his disciples to Jesus. John the Baptist was in prison and he'd begun to doubt straight up. John the Baptist was in doubt. And he sent his disciples to go find Jesus and to ask if he was who he really said he was. And Jesus didn't answer with words, but answered with actions, answered with the proof of the fulfillment of prophecy that was in and through him. In that moment, in that message, in that passage of scripture, Jesus was talking to John. And then last week, we we saw that Jesus kind of changed his focus to talk about John. He was illuminating just how wonderful John the Baptist was through the eyes of the Father, even though he was kind of a weirdo, even though he was in prison, and even though he was doubting his faith, the Father had never doubted his love for John. And Jesus painted a picture for that. He also painted a picture amongst all of the crowd as if to suggest that even though it didn't look perfect and even though it wasn't polished, that's not the way that God works. And I think that should be an encouragement for each and every one of us to say like, you know, you don't have to have it all figured out and please don't forget, pretend that you do. Just chase after the one who has it all figured out. We closed that message last week with a conversation about how while John is the greatest amongst all men born of women, it's us who are born in the kingdom who are even greater than that. And I wish I could have been in this conversation when Jesus was saying that sort of thing. We didn't read this part of the text last week, but but you should know that when Jesus drops that bomb in verse 29, backing up just a little bit, it says when the people heard this and the tax collectors too, and the tax collectors too, and the tax collectors too, the worst of the worst of the worst, when they heard Jesus say this, they declared that God was just. They had been inspired that our God was the kind of God who looked low and called high. And they said, you know, that's, no, that's God. And it's in this sort of goosebump, sweet, revelatory moment that Jesus is showing us a picture of just how good God is. That he turns to have a conversation to those who are skeptical. 
Now I want you to understand this, this Bible, the one that you hold in your hand or the one that you scroll that sends you notifications that says you haven't read enough this week. <laughs> Do you get those? I get those and I'm like, yes, I have. All offended when I should be convicted. This Bible that you have is written to an original audience. It's important that we as a church consider this text. I, I never want us to be so foolish in this North American church as if to suggest that this book was written in English. I know it sounds crazy, but some people believe it. In the original language of English, it's perfect. Well, hold on. It's not in English. This book was written to an original audience, the series of books, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, the 66 total books that are in here that paint the picture of our God and his mission for his people. It was written in its time. Each letter itself was written to an audience. And so when we look at scripture, we have to be looking at it through that lens, which is who was it written to and how would they have understood this text? Amen. It is very common for pastors and leaders today to overlook that aspect of this. And we don't want to miss this, okay? It's written to an audience and that matters. But the beauty is that it's also written to you. And so I don't care how you say it. I don't care if you say it was written through them to me. That's fine. Or, or it was written to them for me. That's fine too. But I want you as a believer to understand that these are real events happening in, in a real time where God was speaking to real people about real circumstances and all of that also has eternal value for real people in real time, in real experiences, amen? And those real audiences should inform the way that you read this too. So we're gonna bounce back and forth with that, but I, I just wanna set the stage for us to understand kind of, where we fit, which is we're really kind of peeking in. Amen? Jesus turns the conversation here. To a room or a gathering of people. And he's just inspired everyone in the room that's kind of broken. He's just connected with the people that are struggling. He's just reminded those of us who maybe are desperate for something greater than this world has to offer, that there is something greater than this world. But as is true of any gathering of people, there's also a second group in the crowd. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever been amongst your friends and realized that one of your friends is not really your friend? Do you know what I'm talking about? Ladies, tell me if you haven't been out on the town with a gathering of women, and one of those girls is not your friend. Everything you say, she's like, she snacks her lips, right? Or she discounts you. Or fellas, you know this rule, you're out with the buddies, and we're playing a game, we're watching football, we're drinking non-alcoholic beer, we're doing Christian stuff. And one of them's just always sizing you up. Yeah, right? It's just interesting that no matter the gathering, there's always one, well, depending on your, your tradition, some might call it a hater. Or a doubter. Or a skeptic. But Jesus doesn't call them that at all. I love this part of the conversation about Jesus. Remember, he's so sweet and tender and I can't wait to see him one day. I'm gonna race all of you, I'm gonna knock you down, I'm gonna hug him first, I'm gonna kiss him a thousand times. I love you, oh my God, I love you. But Jesus is tough as nails. 
He's in this conversation right now and he's just inspired the room and then he pauses for a second and he turns to the haters, the doubters, the skeptics, whoever they are, the people in the group that don't really feel like they fit in the group, who have nothing but critical words to say and he doesn't call them those labels, he calls them children. He says, what should I say this generation is like? They're like children. First point today. Some of us are just downright immature. No one ever claps at that part, Pastor Jason. (laughs) Everybody's like, yes! Oh, shoot, that's going to be... Here is the truth of the matter. Jesus is having a conversation with real people, and he sees their critical spirit, and he sees their, their pride, and he doesn't see it as mean. He sees it as immature. He sees you when you complain about him (laughs) or about others who love him. And he doesn't see it as critical. He just sees that you you need to grow up. Which which you could receive two ways. Amen? You could be in here and feel offended that the Lord is like, (laughs) you are an infant, man. Grow up. (laughs) Or you could receive it with the spirit in which it's sent to you, which is... I'm here for you while you walk this journey. You're not there yet. Believe me. But I'm, I'm with you as you grow. I think it's important to see it that way because when Jesus starts to talk very harshly to these people, it, um, it has the tendency for us as lookers in to be offended and to discount that this message is for someone else and not for us. So do this with me real quick. Take your right hand or your hand of strength. If you're left-handed, go ahead and grab that hand. But your right hand, I want you to put it up. I want you to put it right on your heart. I want you to repeat after me. This, this is, is for me. Great. Amen? Amen? Amen. Okay. We have to do that because I want you to discount it and be like, this is definitely for you. You are ma- immature. This is Jesus giving a harsh rebuke to proud and childish people just like you and me, okay? People who sing a silly song about how life just doesn't work out for them. He does this thing. I wish I could have been there when Jesus does. He says they're like children, and then he has a song in the text. Do you think Jesus sang the song? I think Jesus sang the song, and I think Jesus sang the song exactly the way you think he would have right? Kind of like a little kind of dancing. And I think he really meant to offend. I think he really meant to offend in the moment, the people who are already judging where he was headed with this. But what he's trying to do in this moment is he's saying, look, I'm going to talk to you very clearly today. There were several of you who think you have it all together and I want to break it. You don't. You have no idea what you're talking about. Your behavior is out of line and it needs to be corrected. The time is right now. You are like children. Now, hear me. He is not saying childlike. Now, he calls us to be childlike. In Matthew and in Luke 18, The Lord says, lest you be like a child, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that childlike faith that Jesus invites us to, it's the sense of innocence. It's a sense of receptiveness. If you ever met a kid and just put your arms out, you know what they usually do, right? They reach their hands up. That's childlike. That's innocence and saying it's safe here and you can receive from me. And I want to ask you today real clear, do you have that kind of faith? When you come here, are you just like, any way he comes, that's the way I want it. 
Or do you walk in kind of like a grumpy three-year-old? That one hit, right? You're like, dang it, doc, that was me this morning. That's what Jesus is talking about here. He's not talking about being childlike in your faith. He's being childish, talking about being childish in your behavior. You're not acting the way that God calls us to do. And so here's what we're gonna do. I'm just gonna go through a list of potential childish behaviors that you might engage with. Ready? Real practical teaching today. Practical. Here's, here's the tone and tenor of this conversation. I'm gonna go through th- some of the things that I see people struggle with the most, okay? The most common things that I see people struggle with in their maturation process of the faith, coming from new believer to called believer to equipped believer to sent believer who makes more believers. That's the process, right? Disciples who make disciples. I'm gonna share with you some of the most common obstacles and behaviors that I see, and I want you to be here in the room with me. Please don't check out, okay? I want you to be here, and when I say yours, I want you to get with the Lord about it immediately, right in this room. When I say your thing, don't just go, nope, not me. Don't fake it. I want you to hear from the Lord when you sense that that spirit of conviction, and I want you to just go, that is me, Lord. You don't have to say it out loud. (laughs) Imagine if I was like, and then stand up and (laughs) we're never coming back to this church. I just want you right where you are to lay it down before the Father. And I want you to say, God, that is me. And I don't want it to be. Take it from me. Now that won't solve it, amen? But that sure will kickstart the process. You ready? Okay, the most common ways that I see believers, myself included, struggle in the maturation process of their faith. Ready? Number one, you are impulsive. You make decisions when? Right now. When you're moved by something that comes your way, bright and or shiny, you buy it. Amen? Your credit card bill is growing every single day because you just love stuff. Right? Someone says they love you and you're like, I love you too. No, wait, baby. No, don't. Just hold on. You're impulsive. You're marked by what you need in the here and now. Impulsive. Number two, you ready? You're self-centered, meaning everything is asked through the lens. How can this help me? Now, I know that one sounds heavy, and definitely you have a few people in your mind that that marks but you'd be surprised at how many of us live right there forever. The question is, uh, how can this work for me? Or, Or you ask it through this lens, that's inconvenient for me. How can I get out of that? How can I make sure that that doesn't happen for me? Impulsive, self centered, ready? Unteachable. You know everything, don't you? The older I get, do you know what I've realized? You know what I've really come to know the older I get? I know nothing. Nothing, Chip. Every year and every gray hair, I just feel dumber and dumber and dumber and dumber. But when I was 20, I was a genius. I knew everything. I could solve all of your problems if you just listened to me, bro. That's being unteachable. I want you to have a teachable spirit. The Lord is calling you to have a teachable spirit. Amen? And this one goes right along with it, but it's less about teaching and more about spiritual is this. You seek godly advice, but don't heed godly advice. 
Every pastor in this room wants to stand up and testify in Jesus' name right now. It is not uncommon in the life of ministry for someone to set an appointment with their leader, their counselor, their therapist, their spiritual director, their pastor, and say, here is the problem at hand. What should I do? And that pastor in all earnestness would give them good scripture and say, the answer is clear. And they go, terrible advice. I'll see you later. (laughs) Am I right? You don't even have to pastorize. Like, don't talk to me about this, man. It is so prevalent amongst us as we walk through the journey of our faith to hear the truth of the gospel and go, no. No. I'm, I'm, I'm living with my girlfriend. We love each other, pastor, so it's not like weird. It's holy. We're not ready to get married. Her parents are freaking out about it, though. How can I get them over the hill? How can I get them on our side? And the answer is, you, you can't. You have to move out. You have to restart. You have to ask for the Lord's forgiveness. Then you have to restart and do it right. And then get married. And then move in. And then her parents are gonna love you. Amen. And, and, and the answer often is no. And it's true of almost every real life example that I see in our maturation process is what's the answer? Here's the answer. I don't like the answer. Here's the best part. Of course you don't like the answer. You're, you're flesh and fallen and his ways are higher than our ways. Down the row, you blame others for mistakes you make. Do you ever argue with people after the argument in the shower? Have you ever done, have you ever won that argument? Have you ever won an argument when you knew you were still in the wrong? Like you did the wrong thing and you're like, and then, and then they'll shut their mouth forever. <laughs> the, the maturing believer is always mindful of where they fail and is honest with themselves about it. How about this? You think scripture is adorable, but mostly like a guideline and not the God's honest truth for your life. You really love the passages that are encouraging, but the ones that are hard, how's this, fellas? You ready? Because we talk about all the got you passages about homosexuality or this or that, whatever they may be. But let's just really talk about hard scripture, okay? Ready, fellas? Jesus said, if you look at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery. Amen. Did you know that? Do you love that scripture? Of course not. But it is his words for life. This is not just a guideline that you get to pick and choose from. This is everything that governs your feet. Mature believers come to understand that, and even if they don't like it, they cherish it. We continue to go. You continue oftentimes to demand to be right or seen as right, not more convinced that you just want to get it right. You love to win arguments for the sake of winning the argument. This happens all the time in young married couples. I see them, they get into fights, and it's me against her, and I'm fitting to win. But in a marriage, if there's a loser, you both lose. Amen? You shouldn't want to be right in your marriage. You should want to get it right in your marriage. This is true of your interpersonal relationship, true of your friendship, it's true of any moment of conflict. Please stop trying to be right. Be wrong for a minute. What could the power of an apology do in a relationship in your life? 
right? And you know what kind of apology I'm talking about, right? Not this one. So sorry if you felt like I was hurt. I'm so sorry if you got offended by my words. Have you ever, you've done that one, you've said that, right? Which is like saying, all the fault is still yours. No, a real apology is I said the wrong thing and it hurt you and that was wrong and I wanna make it right. I'm sorry is a beautiful phrase, but do you know what? It actually doesn't do much other than make you feel good. A real apology is making amends. That's how we make it right. Amen? All right, just a couple more. You fail to honor your word and your promises. I will be there tomorrow at eight. And then you're not there. Do you ever text somebody when you're still at your house and say, two minutes away? (laughs) Do you know that that's lying? (laughs) You do now, yeah. I want you to understand that God created everything by the power of his word, amen? Jesus Christ is the living word. This word is sharper than any two-edged sword. The word has power. And I want you to understand that when we say the power of life and death is in your tongue, it's not just a cute phrase from the word of faith movement that says that you can say things and then they'll become reality in your life. I wanna tell you that your word has merit. And for those of us who have ever been really down and out, ask any dude who served time in jail. All you have left is your word. And I wish that more of us could walk with congruency between what we say and what we do. You wonder why people don't trust you? It's because you don't do what you say. You make promises and you break them. Baby, this will never happen again. (laughs) Girls, how many times you heard that? Last one. Childish behavior, right? You're more interested in receiving than you are in giving. This one probably could wrap up the whole conversation, which is this. You come into any room, be it church, be it a date, be it an invitation to a party, and your whole goal is what's in it for me. That's why when people ask you to serve, it's so painful. That's why when most churches try to find a way to get you to serve, we don't say which, what we should say, which is just this. Service is a mandatory part of the Christian faith. You are called to obediently serve others around you. End of sentence. That's it. You don't have to like that idea. That's God's plan. But you know what we do? Because we're so afraid of you and the way that you don't like to serve. I'm sorry, I'm coming hard for you. We're so afraid that you will be offended that we ask you to serve. We say things like, who knows? Maybe you'll find a calling. You might even find a date. We're just trying to sweeten the pot for you. But here's the deal. The pot is sweet enough. Serving Christ is its own reward. Stacking chairs. I want to tell you this. Ready? Stacking chairs is flipping awesome. Yeah, we get less claps on that one too. It is true that if you serve the Lord with your whole heart and your whole soul, he will change you from the inside out. It's absolutely true. 
It is an absolute guarantee that if you go all in with Jesus, you will find what you are called to do in eternity. I guarantee it. I'd stake my whole life on it. You know what? I have because it happened to me. I was a chair stacker. No joke. No cliche. First thing they ever trusted me with in recovery at a big church. They looked at me and I was like six weeks sober and I was like, I'm ready to party. I love Jesus. Help me. And they were like, oh my God, just get him in the garage and stack chairs. It's a total liability, right? And then there I was stacking chairs. Just me and K-Love. Because you know when you're a new believer, every one of those songs matters, man. They matter. And I'm just like just doing the work, man. Just sweating. And just like being used by God for the first time in my life, like mattering and realizing that that was the only place I ever wanted to be. The mature believer is more interested in what they can give to others, what they can give to the Lord, than in what the Lord has to give to them. Do you feel sufficiently convicted? Okay, let's transition. Some of us are just immature. Jesus would say, this generation is like children. They sit in the marketplace and they sing a song that complains all day long. And some of us are. But some of us are maturing and still marked by a critical spirit like this one that Jesus is trying to address. And for those of us, I would say, there are still some of us who are never satisfied. This is not true of of just little kids, but even growing children have have eating issues, amen? I I have friends whose kids will only eat chicken nuggets. I have one friend, his kid only eats chicken nuggets, and I mean like not chicken nuggets and a side, I mean every meal he eats chicken nuggets and no more, right? And you present him, <laughs> talking to Michelle, she has, a, she has a narrow palate as well. You present him, which is a very polite way to describe this, am I right? You might call it picky. You, you, they, the family presents him with any number of options that they know are better for him, and he is not satisfied with that. He wants what he wants, and he wants it his way only. And I want to tell you that that is kind of how some of us do Christianity. We're like this, you should serve. No, 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 no. You should come early for worship. No, 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 no. You should read your Bible. No. Most of us, if we're really being honest about ourselves, we've determined how to walk the way of Jesus. You've made up your mind on how this works. You have a routine, am I right? If I did this right now and said, how many of you read your Bible one hour a day? Don't worry, we're not gonna do it. But if I asked you, how many of you spent one hour in deep study with the Lord every day? The number would be limited. And I wanna tell you this, it's true across the church, not just ours, but the North American church. It's equally true amongst preachers. Pastors are just as shallow in their study of the word. If I was to go across the same survey and say, how many of you spend one hour in time alone with the Lord in prayer, in your prayer closet, every single day, the number would be dismal. I would say, how many of you spend an hour on your face weeping in worship of simply how good he is? The number would be minuscule. If I was to ask you how many of you every single day went out to make a disciple, to share the gospel with a brand new person, to make disciples and fulfill the grace commission the number would be zero most of us don't do any of it we do nothing and we say we're christians 
because we've defined how it works for us. I don't, I don't witness, I just don't like it. I don't like to worship, so that's not the way I do it. I'm not good at reading the Bible, it doesn't make sense, so I don't do it. Prayer is kind of weird, I don't do it. So my question to you is, what do you do? What do you do that makes you a Christian? Come here, it's a comedy club. This place is no more holy than, than a comedy club. This doesn't make you Christian. Saying you're a Christian doesn't make you Christian. It is the fruit of your life that bears out of your life that is proof that you are Christ-like. And some of us, we've just determined this is how it works. And because we've determined how it works, we've made a decision that the way God says it works doesn't work. Haven't we? We've said that prayer and other stuff. That's for the weird Pentecostals. The worship where they cry, that's charismatic stuff. I don't do that. Studying an hour a day, are you kidding me? I'm, I'm not Anglican. We've decided that God's ways are not our ways, but our ways are higher. And Jesus talks about this to the crowd in the moment here. He says, for John the Baptist came and he ate no bread and he drank no wine. And you said he had a demon in him. Jesus looks at the same crowd and he says, and the son of man, remember that's his preferred way to refer to himself, it's from Daniel. He says, the son of man has come and he ate and he drank. And you said, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. What he's talking about in this moment is people who always have something to say about everything. He says, you are the kind of people who see demons and prophets and sinners in the savior. You call things that are good evil and you call things that you do evil good. You've decided that your ways are best. When God came to create the world in seven days, he finished and he looked at creation and he said, it is good. And you've decided not good enough. No, my way is good. When Eve eats of the fruit, tempted by the serpent, you think the fall is when she ate, right? No, the fall is when she looked at the fruit that God said was not good, and it says she saw that it was good. Isaiah would say unto those who call evil good and good evil, woe unto you. That is surely the path to hell. For those of you who have decided that the words of the Lord are pretty but not applicable to you, you have a destination and it's not his. Now I know last week I really encouraged you about what that destination looks like, but don't get it twisted. There are not multiple ways to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way. There is but one. It's clearly delineated here, but you don't pick and choose. I might say it like this, for those of us who are unsatisfied, we're just plain unwilling to take God on his terms. We just, we just don't like the terms of the agreement. And I wanna break it to you. <laughs> you have no bargaining power in this contractual no negotiation. Did you know that? Did you know that the new covenant that Jesus gives us with his blood is less an opportunity for us to figure out what makes work, what works for us, a compromise so that both parties are excited about the deal? That is not it, you ready? 
The new covenant of the blood of Jesus Christ is a treaty document. And it is to say you have been at war with God when you were a slave to sin. But he has captured you as a prisoner of war. And because he's so good, the treaty says this, there is no death, just eternal life if you would just surrender to the king. That's the document. And many of us are like, "Mm, I love your offer. I want to counter that. Amen. Didn't it sound silly when we put it like that, right? But some of us are just unsatisfied with what the Lord has offered us today. And the truth of the matter is, you've got to get out of that. You've got to grow up. Time is now to grow up. So let me say this. Let me close it with this. We have about 10 minutes left. Growing up, maturing, becoming who God's called you to be, it is... It is integral to the, the, the Christian faith. I like to say that Beacon is a place for broken people, meaning you get to walk in here, no matter how busted and disgusted you are, welcome home. But you don't get to stay that way. We won't let you stay that way. I wanna see you grow. And growth takes time, takes energy, and we're gonna push you in this. So here's the deal, growing takes time, but guess what, the time is right now. It really is. I wish that I could tell you today's hard message is something for you to mull over. Come back in a month and then let's make some decisions together. But you may not have a month. That is how fleeting this life is. This conversation that Jesus has with these unbelievers, we believe he was actually talking directly to the Pharisees and the scribes. He was really trying to convict the cultural leaders of the day as if to say, I see you in your pious nature and the way that you think that you've got it all together, but you are the worst of the worst. You're the most childish. Those of you who are most confident in your ways have got it the worst. You don't know what you're doing. And he's saying to them, it is time to grow up. You've got to grow up right now in this moment. And I think what Jesus is doing is trying to address the tendency for humans to justify ourselves. We are the most critical when we are also the most frustrated with ourselves. Have you ever been in a bad day? You've ever had like your most frustrating time? You've made some mistakes. Things haven't gone well for you. And then you're on the road and someone just makes like the most minor of mistakes in traffic. Have you ever seen that? And have you ever just blown up at them? Blown up. I'm like, I cover my mic, but I'd be like, use your turn signal, you moron. And then I pull up next to her at the light and she's 74 years old. I'm a Christian, I'm sorry. I wanna see that, I wanna just paint that little picture for you because I want you to understand, most of us are, are pretty critical of other people. Actually, most of us are more critical of others than we are of ourselves. We have a beautiful rose-colored lens when we look at ourselves, when we look at others, we're just so keenly aware of their flaws. Jesus addresses this in the parable of the plank and the speck. And the reason that most of us do this is because we're trying to justify ourselves. We're trying to put ourselves in what we believe to be as right standing with the world. We're trying to say, they all have it wrong. So my minor flaws, they're, they're not even worth discussing. And Jesus knows this. He's trying to have a conversation around this and he's trying to correct them by saying wisdom is justified by all of her children. What Jesus is doing is using the term justification very clearly so that the scribes and the Pharisees that he's talking to in this moment would know that he's talking right to them because they know that they're whitewashed tombs as Jesus has described them. They're perfect on the outside and rotten on the inside. 
And so he uses the term justification so that they know there's no mistake. I'm talking to you, you critical, critical spirit. Stop looking at other people and their flaws. Turn and look at yourself. When the pastor said you're immature, just own it. The pastor worked with him with the Lord this week on it too. Hardcore. I was like, oh, and I am immature. I struggle. Full transparency. I have the worst time meeting people. We talked about this being uh, an, an issue we struggle with. I, I'm an introvert, tend to be, and my wife's coached me out of that. And I don't know if you come to church now, but I'm like overly loud. It's a little off the wall. Um, but when I meet new people, I, I tend to talk about myself more than anything else. People say, how you doing? And I just like, I'll just take it as an opportunity to just sit right down and just start venting. And they're like, dude, I'm just, do you want a coffee or not? Right? <laughs> so immature, so focused on self. And so the Lord's been working with me on this. I don't hope you don't mind me sharing this with you because I hope that you'll get to work on some of the things that you're working on today. Uh, there's just areas that the enemy likes to hold on to in us that, that holds us back from holding on to his unchanging hand. And what we tend to do when we have these areas is we get critical of each other. And Jesus speaks to that moment and he says, you need to understand that that criticality, that critical spirit, it will never justify you. It won't change you. Only I can change you. So he turns it and he says wisdom. He's referring to himself in the third person as an attribute of God. Is He's saying, I am wisdom. Hmm. And wisdom shall be justified by her actions. He's saying, I know you may not see it now. I know that when, you, when I tell you it's time to grow up and it sounds hard, I know that you, don't, you can't see the fruit just yet. But in due season, you will reap. What I love mostly about this in this moment is he's, he's inviting the hardest of hearts in the room to say, the way you live now, it, it, it just won't change you. It will chain you but it won't change you. But I will. Man, I love that about Jesus. I love that even if you're the meanest hornet in the room, he has an invitation for you. An invitation to come back home. An invitation to let go an invitation to turn away from where you were and who you used to be. And sometimes it hurts when he says it, amen? He calls you right out, right out of the midst of your thing. And he says, this doesn't work for you. It's time to come. And the question is this. It's not whether or not there's a reward. I've heard it say the biggest question is, is heaven real? <laughs> That's not the question. Is salvation real? That's not the question. Is Jesus real? That's not the question. Ready? The question is, are you just too immature to take him up on it? That's it. He's real, and he doesn't need to prove himself to you. But the question is, are you too immature? Are you too, are you too picky? Are you too satisfied? Are you too convinced that the way that you have it is just better than him? So you say, Jesus is real. And I, I like him. I mean, I'm not going to do all that stuff. But I like him. 
And what happens when we live in that, we don't change him, we just change us. We just, we just change the trajectory of our own course. And I want to tell you today, like, it's, it's today. It's today. You got to grow up today. You got to change today. As a church, we're going to close you with this. We're getting ready to walk into a new season. God's pruned us. God's maturing us. There is an open door for us. We just might, I believe with my whole heart, believe we're going to own a building in downtown and be able to move into it as a church. Amen? But here's the deal. Ready? Old you can't go. That's it. Immature you can't go. You, you just don't belong there. Oh, God, here we go. You ready? I, I, I can't be the only one that believes God for this building. I, I can't be the only one that gives in this church. Straight up. If God gives us this building and our mortgage is a certain amount, guess who? You. We need you. You got to grow up. You got to help us. You got to serve. It's going to be a 28,000 square foot building. <coughs> I can't mop the whole place by myself. Old you doesn't get to go into the new season of Jesus Christ. There is something greater on the other side. And he says, I'm fixing you now. I'm pruning you now. I'm burning off the old now. Because what I have for you is greater. The best is yet to come. But we got to work on this right now. Amen. So today is the day you got to resolve to say, I'm willing for you to burn off, to prune, to change me. I don't want to live here. I don't want to die right here. There's a promise on the other side. That is our prayer. Would you bow your heads all over this room right now? Heavenly Father, today is the day. Today is the day. Today is the day. We've heard you with our whole heart. We know that you're calling us out of immature behavior, of a dissatisfied spirit, of a critical eye that is pointing to the faults of others but negating our own faults. We are, we are well aware that you have convicted us and today is the day we're unwilling to push that back and call it condemnation and call it a mean spirit. Today is the day we say, God, we hear you, prune us, take it away from us in Jesus' name. I wanna walk into the next season I want to build the life that you've called me to. I won't be offended when you love me. Amen. Hard work. Super hard. I get it. It's so good on the other side of a hard word. Amen? Next week, we're going to see what happens when Jesus speaks a hard word to people and it transforms the way people live. I want that for you. Amen? Thanks for joining Be The Light Podcast with lead pastor C.B. Barthlow. Visit our website at denverbeacon.org to download our Beacon app. Text Beacon to 97000. Once again, text Beacon to 97000. Or join us in person at Beacon this Sunday, 10 a.m. at Comedy Works, 1226 15th Street in Denver, Colorado. Whatever you do, please remember to be the light. Let's go! Let's go!